This week is our last sermon on this series in Peter. And I don't know about you, but I love Peter. I love seeing a man that is not perfect, but he's growing and and transforming to know Christ more. And today we're going to see the Jerusalem Council. It was from the year 49 to 50 A.D. And at this time and throughout history, a common theme in the Bible is a group of people trying to add to the Gospel. Our natural tendency is to work for something. It's kind of natural for us to just want to be in control of our lives. And what tends to happen is we come to Christ, this grace. Jesus died for me. We recognize that. And then over time, we fall back into some works-based righteousness. We try to earn our way to heaven. Jesus loves me when I read my Bible more. Jesus loves me when I pray more. When I sing hymns or when I act peachy when I'm really not. In the Bible, it calls it the circumcised party. Basically, they're saying that you have to follow the laws of Moses and become Jewish before you can become Christian. Which obviously has a a problem with grace. Not to mention that I'm sure there are a lot more females coming to Christ than men, if you know what I mean. This group was called the Judaizers. And the name comes from a Greek verb meaning to live according to Jewish customs. And if we're going to understand Acts 15... We need to see this transformation in Peter. Peter's transformation throughout this series, but especially here, is absolutely amazing. He's bold. He's in Christ. But some of his old habits start to set in a little bit. They just won't go away. He's still growing in his faith. Peter is still searching out and trying to mature more so he knows Jesus on a greater level gives me great hope to know that Peter, the the leader of our church, was still growing in his faith. Still maturing. Peter right here, he wants to lean into his rules and his laws rather than his freedom and his faith and the grace in Jesus. Guys, it scares me. And I don't know about you, but when I read the Bible, legalism is the thing that Jesus is the hardest on. Guys, I hope that we're a church that that shares the Gospel. That we're a church that doesn't expect somebody that's never been in the church to be obedient and do it right off the bat. We often think that somebody, once they come to Christ, they shouldn't drink, they shouldn't cuss, they shouldn't chew, they shouldn't go with girls that do, they shouldn't do any of these things. I stole that one from Joby Martin. Sorry. (laughs) But it takes time. We're all growing. We're all maturing as we grow in our, in our passion for Jesus Christ. I think sometimes we hear somebody cuss and we're like, oh, that guy's not a believer. There's no fruit in that guy. I don't want my Timmy hanging around with that guy. And if your kid's name's Timmy, I'm sorry, but he's going to be a weenie when he grows up. <laughs> but in all seriousness, all seriousness, I hope that we don't take our kids out of the world, but we equip them to fight with grace in this world. Are we like the soap? And I like to use this analogy. And I have something different here on my notes, but yesterday I had to go paint a house. 
And it got everywhere. It was covering me. I looked like I was a different color. And when I got home, I got in the shower, and it took me 30 minutes to get all of that off, but not one drop of that paint was on the soap. The soap cleaned me. And I hope as a church, we're that type of people. We can go into any situation, and this love, this passion for Jesus Christ radiates and overflows from us to those. And they see Jesus. That's my prayer. Guys, I'm telling you, the first time somebody shows up to my youth group, almost always they're using God's name in vain, and I don't say a word. But I know eventually the Word of God is going to convict them. I know eventually they're going to see the ways that we're going to act, but they're going to want to act that way because Jesus is working in them. The Holy Spirit is directing them. They'll mature, just like Peter did. They will get there, but they're going to get there when we approach them in truth and in love. Truth and in love. So open your Bibles to Galatians 2.11. We're going to see Peter, what he was like before this transformation. Starting at verse 11. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Paul is calling out Cephas or or Peter. Peter is being hypocritical. He's falling for this peer pressure like a middle school boy. And today, I don't want you to think that I'm not saying that we shouldn't judge some things because there is definitely some things that we should judge. But I want us to always evaluate, do we have the right love in our heart? Do we go to people? Do we go to things with the right motives in our heart? We don't need to put any extra burdens on people for coming to Christ. Our job is to talk about the sin and our need for a Savior. And that should flow out of us as other people start to realize their sin and their need for a Savior. My prayer is that we don't see other people's sins as big and our sins as little. All our sins are in need of the grace of Jesus Christ. Look at Jesus. We see how He acts in grace with the woman at the well who had five husbands. Then we see as they bring this woman caught in adultery in John 8 to Him and they see this grace. This grace as He bends down He writes in the sand. And you know why He wrote in the sand? I don't either. <laughs> Guys, often we read the Bible and... If the Bible wanted us to know exactly what He said, then it would have put it there. The important part is that Jesus is confronting sin. He's doing it with grace. He's allowing us to reflect on our sin. To realize our sin. And then there's change and transformation in that. Are you ever just amazingly thankful that Jesus Christ saved a wretch like you and a wretch like me? I want us to evaluate that often. Look at how Jesus handles it in John 8, 9-11. through But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before Him. And Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. And 
from now on, sin no more. Sin no more. Jesus, he helps this woman. He helps her in her moment of need. And then he says, sin no more. He wants you just as you are. And He's the one that works in your heart. The Holy Spirit changes us. He also uses us. Like Paul is going to be used to help Peter recognize his sin, his hypocrisy, his childness. Galatians 2.12 For before certain men came from James, Peter was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and he separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. So the men from Jerusalem, they show up and Peter does what? He resorts back to his old ways. For a moment, he forgets his freedom in Christ. He cares more about the approval of men than a right understanding of this freedom we have in the Gospel. And I believe that everyone in the church has to be careful of this. We are saved. And the longer we are saved, the more likely we are to revert back to this legalism. We try to earn this grace and this favor. We often put Jesus back on the cross. Even though He said, it is finished. You see, the law is fulfilled. There is no more sacrifices. The sacrifice has already taken place. And we do what is right because we have a love for Jesus, not to earn His love. I often listen to sermons, maybe one or two a day, and this topic, this legalism, is often talked about. And why do you think that is? Because we don't get it. Guys, today I'm not preaching a sermon to the lost. I'm preaching a sermon to the found. And I'm telling you that I often fear that the church has a bunch of Christian atheists who do not have any idea how to live in grace. What sin did Jesus not have compassion for? Guys, it was legalism. The Pharisees were trying to earn love. They were trying to earn this approval of men. And Peter right here is doing the same thing, are we? It's not earned. It's a free gift given to us by Jesus Christ. His work on the cross. He's the one that earned it. Galatians 2.13 And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with Him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Of course Barnabas. He's the kind of guy that does not like conflict. Sound familiar to some of us? He's the one who encourages people. He wants people to like Him. How often do we get some Jesus people around us and we want to sound smart, pray well, and look like we're righteous and holy when in fact we're just a bunch of sinners saved by grace? We're not that special. Other than Jesus. I mean, if we really got what we deserve, we'd spend eternity in hell. But Jesus, Jesus, He saves us. He transforms us. He grows us and He loves us. He loves us for who we are. And then we change and we transform because we have a passion and a love for Him. And when we see legalism in the church, we have to speak truth. We must not let it go unchecked or it will destroy a church. It's not the atheists who destroy a church. It's the people in the church. And what does Paul do? Now Paul can come across a little harsh 
Paul's always trying to fight this black and white in his theology. But Peter and Barnabas, they know his heart. Verse 14, But when Paul saw their conduct was not in step with the truth of the Gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, you can, can, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Mic drop. Do we live like the world and expect others to live like Christ wants us to? Do we think our sin is just a little deal and, and everybody else's sin is a big deal? I so desperately hope not. You see, I was so mad on Friday night. I've been wanting to go to the lake for like three months and baseball and everything has just consumed me and my wife tells me that I have to go paint a house on Friday and Saturday. Guys, in my sin, my anger, I still suffer from it. I left so mad at my wife. And as I was running, God started to convict me. I mean, how do you preach a sermon on this type of stuff? You're just a sinner. But you know what? I'm a sinner saved by grace like every one of you. And we must never forget that. You see, every sin is wrong and every sin needs a Jesus Christ and every sin needs grace. That's what I thought about when I first read this text. But I often think it's more like this. You see, we live in freedom and grace. Why would we ever resort back to the bondage of 613 laws, 10 commandments, and the Sermon on the Mount? No, I'm not saying that we don't obey Him, but what is the heart of obeying Him? I mean, do we absolutely love Jesus Christ? And I love how Peter responds to his sin. I mean, when somebody says something, calls you out on your sin, do you respond like this or are you like me and you get angry? Peter, the leader of the church, responds in a way, grows and matures in his faith. If he can do it, any one of us should be willing to do it. So turn back in your Bibles to Acts 15. It shows this transformed man. And he's no longer in Antioch. He's in the heart of Jerusalem, the epicenter of God's plan. And it's probably a year or so after this event in Antioch. I think so because Paul would have talked about what they decide in the Jerusalem council if it wasn't. But I think the important part here is that we see a changed Peter. Peter at this point in his life was learning from his mistakes, are we? Are we learning from the things that we do? Are we growing closer to Jesus? And the Judaizers are still the Judaizers. They're making a mess in Antioch. And Paul and Barnabas have had enough. Acts 15.1 But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. They were teaching Jesus plus something equals salvation. And I say no. It must be Jesus plus nothing is salvation. Jesus alone. And Paul, he had enough. This debate is going nowhere and he takes it to the leaders. It's the same thing that we should do. 
Right? When we have dissension between other believers, do we go and do we talk to them? And when we can't solve it, do we take it to the leaders in the church? And so that's what they're doing. They head to Jerusalem. Verse 3. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. I love Paul. He never wastes a moment He's going and he's talking about these conversions. He's stirring people up for the Bible. Guys, as a church, if we ever get jealous of another person's ministry, we really need to evaluate our heart. We should never be cynical about people coming to Christ. I love Belize, but it's not just about the people in Belize. It's about the people that I get the pleasure to take with me. You see, my wife was very cynical about Belize until she went and it softened her heart. If we ever get tired of hearing about people come to Christ, no matter who closes the deal, I pray that we will just examine our heart, that we will do some soul digging. Salvation in the discipleship process for all believers should bring about this great joy and excitement in our lives. Every single one of those fourth and fifth graders, third graders, second graders, all those kids that came and told me that they gave their life to Christ, that should excite us. Every single time. Look at verse 4 and 5 of Acts 15. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them in order for them to keep the law of Moses. Some people welcome them with open arms. They are excited to hear about people coming to Christ. But why is there always a but? I mean, could we seriously get rid of the buts in the church? Now, I'm not talking about the buts in the seats. I mean, I want more people in the seats. You get what I mean, but... Everything seems to have a but. I've heard people say, yeah, I like Belize, but why are we not reaching the people here? It's not and or, guys. It it must be everything. We need to reach all people. It's just as important when people go down to Belize, the hearts that are changed, and then they come back here, and guess what happens? They're on fire for ministry. I've heard people say, I love youth group. But are those youth really saved? I mean, did you hear what they said at their baptism? I'm telling you, there was a young girl the other day at her baptism. And when we asked her why she wanted to be baptized, the answer absolutely made me cringe. Until I started to think about it. You see, I didn't know her life. She had no stability Her life was tough. And you're seeing a Jesus that met her at her level. I don't care what she said. I know that she gave her life to Jesus Christ and she will grow. She will know the right words to say someday. In fact, maybe I hope she doesn't. Because I want people who are real about who they are and who Jesus has made them. I'm with you. I cringe sometimes when people come to Christ and I don't see this transformation. But I'm telling you, what does it matter? 
I'm still going to speak the same thing over and over again. I'm still going to talk about what Jesus Christ did in my life. I'm still going to talk about the sin in my life and my need for a Savior. I don't care if it's you guys who have been in the church forever or if it's little kids at VBS. The Bible is about Jesus and Jesus alone. Do we preach it? Do we preach that we are free in Christ? Do we live a life that is free in Christ? And I'm telling you, that never changes and it will never change. I worry so desperately about the legalism in the church because Jesus did. Jesus did. Are we focused on Jesus or are we focused on the law? It's the same question they've been asking for 2,000 years. And the apostles, I love how they handle the question. It's the same way we should as a church. They gather together to consider the matter. I can tell you that our elders in this church gather together to consider the matter. But there's dissension always. Right? We're human. We're perfect. We're little sinners. And when you have dissension, you should go to that person because if you don't, you are the only one to blame when there is not a solution. And it's in the solution that we see this transformation in Peter. We see a changed man that takes his boldness to the next level as he speaks the Gospel to all that will hear, including the Gentiles. And he establishes this right thinking in the body of Christ. Acts 15.7 And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the Gospel and believe. I don't know about you guys, but I just imagine Peter sitting there. And he's just taking in everything that everybody is saying. And then at the exact right time, at the prompting of the Holy Spirit, he starts to talk. I compare it a little bit to my buddy, Bob York. Every Friday, that man sits in there, almost every Friday. In fact, I think he goes to men's breakfast more than I do. And he doesn't say a word. And then at the end, the thing that he says we can take from that place and we can use it to grow in our faith. And Peter does the same thing here. You see, when Peter speaks, we should listen. Peter. He starts to talk. He says, you remember when Jesus said He would give us the keys to heaven? You remember when Jesus used my sermons to bring the Holy Spirit to the Jews, the Samaritans, and to the Gentiles? You remember Cornelius? His family was saved by hearing the Gospel and believing, not by obeying the laws of Moses. We read about it in Acts 11, 15-18. Peter saying, As I begin to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And I remember the word of the Lord, how He said, John, baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as He gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, Who was I that I could stand in God's way? Who was I that I could stand in God's way? And then when they heard these, they fell silent. 
And they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. It does not say that Cornelius was circumcised, that he lived for seven years as a Jew, and then he was saved. No, it says that he believed, and then the Holy Spirit took over. Acts 15.8, bounce back there. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as He did to us. God knows the heart. God knows the heart. I don't know the heart. You don't know the heart. But Jesus does, and He does it perfectly. Let Him figure it out. You should just keep on sharing the Gospel. Keep on living the Gospel. Anybody that will listen, and even some that won't, Do you show that passion that you have for Jesus? You see, God gives them the Holy Spirit. I can tell you this. I've been in this church since I was one year old. One year old. I've been in this church every year of my life at least one time. When I was in college, not so much. But I was here at least one time. I can tell you that I hated this place. I hated this place with a passion. The only reason I ever came here is because I loved my mom. I could never understand why my mom was the way she was. She did not understand life. I didn't understand Liz Ostrander. I could not figure out why she acted the way she did. I hated the music, and I just listened to it so I could get to the sermon that I hated so I could get home so I could eat food, which I really loved, and watch football. And when the Holy Spirit took over, and many of you have felt this, when the Holy Spirit takes over, that music that sounds like nails on a chalkboard is all of a sudden beautiful and glorious, and you start to get it. And you can't get enough of the sermons. I listen to two of them a day. And it's not because I want to listen to J.D. Greer or Joby Martin. No, I want to listen to things about Jesus Christ. I can't get enough about how Jesus Christ saved a wretch like me. Are you the same? Are you absolutely in love with Jesus Christ? That's what we're talking about here. I'm telling you, when the Holy Spirit took over, I all of a sudden understood how intelligent my mom was, how intelligent Liz Ostrander was. They had it figured out. I was lost. I was dead. And they were alive. And they were free. Let's look at verse 9. I love this part. And He made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. As far as salvation goes, God does not make distinctions between man and women. He does not make distinctions of the color of our skin, the nationality. He does not make distinctions if we are Gentile or we are Jew. He does not. The only distinction is the cleansing of the heart and the work that Jesus Christ has done on the cross. And has He done it for you? And anybody in this world that He has not, do you care about Him enough to share about who Jesus is? Verse 10, now therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? I don't know about you, but Peter's saying right here, I cannot keep all of the burdens in this Bible, all 613 laws I can't even remember, let alone follow. 
And that's the exact point. That's the point of all of that in the Old Testament. We can never follow all those laws on our own. It is absolutely impossible without Jesus. He was able to do it. And He gave His life on the cross. He did the work. And you see Peter, who is the leader of the church. And right now, he's setting the tone. He speaks this grace in the Gospel. Listen to it in verse 11. Do you believe this? Let it convict you at the soul level. But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. Did you catch that? He did not say that they will be saved just like we as the Jews were. He is saying that they will be saved just like them. We need to remove the yoke from all of us because salvation has always been about grace. It has always been about faith. And now, it is no longer in the shadows, but in the light. Have you ever thought about how blessed you are not only to have the Holy Spirit working into you, but to also have a name for this faith, for the Messiah that was to come? We have no excuses. There could be no more yoke because we are free. We are free indeed. John 8.36 So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And it's more than just being free indeed, but we are free of deeds. We are free of the having to and alive in the getting to. And it's no longer Paul who does the mic drop, but Peter. Verse 12, And all the assembly fell silent. All the assembly fell silent and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. Is that our heart? I mean, when Miss Lori stands up here and talks about all the kids that came to Christ at VBS, does it do something in your heart? Because it should. Because I can tell you that my mom came to Jesus Christ at VBS. And when I'm sitting in my office and I'm going, do I really want to take it that far to offer up this prayer of salvation to these young kids? Do they really understand it? All the Holy Spirit kept telling me is your mom gave her life to Jesus Christ at a VBS. And no one will deny that that lady loves Jesus. Let's not be lost in bondage and cynicism. Let's not be lost in jealousy. Let's be lost in the wonders and greatness. This amazement at who God is and what He has done in our life. Be amazed at the work that Jesus did on the cross. And I get it. There's some moral laws in this Bible that we are to follow. And they say that at the end of Acts 15 there at verse 21 and 20. But it should always be about Jesus. It should always be about the heart. Guys, you even see James, who wrote an entire book on works, agreeing with Peter because there is no disagreement in this Word of God. Do we love Christ? This doesn't mean that we sugarcoat things. This means we speak truth. We talk about the sin in our life and we allow the Word of God, the Gospel, to do the convicting. I don't know about you, but my salvation is not based on my need, my deeds, but Jesus' deeds. 
And today I close with the words of James, Jesus' brother. I mean, have you ever thought about that? What would it take for you to think that your brother was the Son of God? James did. James did. Listen to these words, Acts 15, 16 through 18. After this, I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it. That the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles are called by name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from old. Where are the Gentiles? Called. Called in the name of Jesus Christ. Grace. You see, God's plan has always been about all people. It's always been about Jesus. And now they're fully recognizing God's plan as the Holy Spirit is taking over this light. Now, none of this means that we should just live the way we want to. But maybe it does. You see, when we have a passion for Jesus Christ, our wants now become His wants. And that's exactly what we're doing. When you love Jesus, you're loving the way you want to. I don't know about you, but the rules in this book make me excited. I love being obedient. I love obeying my parents. Didn't used to, but now I do. There's a moral standard in this book. There's a moral standard in this book, and we're never to stray away from it. But is it about we have to or we get to and we want to? See, the question is always the motive and the heart of the person who is living out a life that is free. That is free indeed. Because grace is for all who want freedom. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for grace. I thank you for freedom. Freedom from this bondage and the cynicism and the jealousy of this world. Freedom to honor you and to obey you because we love you. Freedom to just be in awe of everything that you do. And be amazed that you saved a wretch like us. Lord, on this day, we lift you up. And we ask that you would do a work in our life and that you would continually transform us and mature us. And that we can understand your grace on a deeper level. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.